Good evening, you guys. It's good to be with you tonight. I am overjoyed to have the chance to spend time in this room because this room has had an impact on my life for a number of years, even though I've actually never been in it. I know many people who have had uh, impactful times, and those impactful times have been a blessing to my life. So I'm thankful for Kairos in so many ways, and it is really a privilege to open the word together. If I think about what it means for me to be here with you tonight, there's a quote that I heard a number of years ago, and it says, I'm just a beggar trying to show other beggars where the bread is. And I feel like that's what it means for us to be together tonight. We're all hungry and thirsty, but I kind of feel like I have a bead on where we can find some food, right? Like, I don't think that we're any different. Both you and I are both hungry and thirsty for truth and for righteousness and for some sense of hope in what seems to be a hopeless world. But I'm just a beggar trying to show other beggars where this bread is. And the beauty of this room is it is a safe place for us all to explore what this truth or what this hope may mean to and for us. Because there's multiple people in here on different points of the continuum of the journey toward Jesus. For some of us, we've been a part of church for a long time. Maybe you've done things like this for a long time, opening the word together, uh, being a part of gatherings where people talk from the Bible. Maybe this might be the first time you've ever been to something like this where People would read from scripture and proclaim truth about Jesus. But the one thing that I know for sure in my heart that I have absolutely discovered in a way that will change my life forever is that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. That message of hope that comes from the good news of knowing the finished work of Jesus is for everyone. As a matter of fact, it's for everyone that's in this room tonight. And we're going to open the word together and look at a scripture that's going to talk about this idea. Now, it's in Luke chapter 7, but what's really cool is a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chris talked about something that has a lot of eerie similarities to what we're going to be talking about tonight. He told a story from Matthew, and in this story, there was a man named Simon, there was a woman, there was an alabaster flask, and most importantly, there was Jesus. Well, weirdly enough, the story that we're going to look at tonight involves a man named Simon, there is a woman... There is an alabaster flask, and of course, there is Jesus. But tonight, the story that we're looking at is actually a different story with eerie similarities in some of the characters and the names. But the outcome of what we're going to see tonight, I hope, will affirm and encourage and strengthen our belief that the gospel is for everyone. Now, before we jump into the word together, the thing I want to do is set up a little bit about what we're about to see. So Jesus is invited by a man named Simon to a dinner. 
And Jesus is going about the city and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, as it says in the scriptures. And Jesus is going about healing people and preaching amazing messages. And there's a stirring in the villages and people want to know more about Jesus. And this man named Simon has a title in here as a Pharisee. And if you don't know what a Pharisee is, it's kind of like a do-gooder, right? It's a rule follower, a religious person who has given their life to following the rules and the laws in order to show their worth and value to God. And their genuine pursuit is to know God well, but they do so through their actions to justify their life. So this man, Simon, knows the rumblings about Jesus in the city, and he says, man, if we could get Jesus to come to our dinner, that'd probably be a good thing because clearly he's making an impact on the city. So he invites Jesus to come to a meal. Now, Simon is a do-gooder, so he probably has a room full of do-gooders there with him at the meal. And it says that Jesus is there at the table, kicked back, reclining, eating with these do-gooders. He receives the invitation, and he comes to eat with the Pharisees. But right at the beginning of the story, you're going to see something that's a bit jarring. And it's kind of similar in the entrance of a woman into the story as the other one that we saw in Matthew. But tonight, this woman's background is a little bit different than the one who poured the oil on Jesus's head in the other story in Matthew 26. Let's take a look at what the scriptures say to us. Now, in Luke 7, verse 36, it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So there's a rumor that Jesus is in the house, and this woman hears that he is reclining at the table of the house of the Pharisee. Now, this woman, at hearing that Jesus is there, does something that is really kind of extraordinary. She runs directly home, and she grabs this alabaster flask of ointment. Now, if you've heard of the alabaster flask in any of the stories in the Bible, we know that this is a precious flask, and inside of it would contain precious oil, and this oil would be very valuable. And at hearing that Jesus is in the house, her first impulse is to run home and grab this oil. Now, she grabs the oil, gets the flask, and heads straight over to the house of the Pharisee. Now, this is really interesting. I want you to see in your scripture or note this idea right here, that it says that the woman has a very important description. It says that she is a woman of the city, comma, a sinner. Like, it makes sure that you understand that this woman has a reputation. Now, we can kind of read into this idea, understanding why she would have been labeled a woman of the city. Like, she is known for the actions that she has carried out. And we know that they are sinful actions because the Bible actually tells us so. It says that she, a woman of the city, comma, a known sinner, makes her way into this house. 
Now remember, we got this guy, Simon, who is a do-gooder, a religious man. This guy is noted as someone who is important in the area, and he has been following God according to the rules and the laws in a very specific way. And then we have, in contrast, a woman of the city who is the opposite of the do-gooder. She has a reputation, and she is a known sinner. Now, these two people are about to converge on one story, and let's look at what happens when it goes down. (laughs) And it says, standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This is something that is absolutely extraordinary to get the visual of. I want you to kind of try to paint this picture in your mind. There's this beautiful dinner with important people that is happening. Then all of a sudden, the woman busts in, and she runs straight to Jesus. And it says that she starts weeping. Now, the Bible doesn't make mistakes when it's talking about the language and the imagery that it's trying to portray. And this weeping is something we need to see because she is not just simply tearing up, but she is probably audibly moved. She is probably crying and making noise, and this is causing a scene in the middle of this proper dinner. Remember, the do-gooders are probably so jarred when this woman makes her way into the dinner, and it says that she doesn't care what anybody says. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She runs right to Jesus at the word that Jesus is in the house. She doesn't care about anything else except for getting next to him. And she runs and right at his feet begins crying and weeping. And then it says that she takes this precious oil, dumps it on Jesus' feet, and begins to wash his feet with her hair and her tears. Now, this is crazy because you got to imagine what this scene feels like. It's kind of uncomfortable for us, even here, right now, telling the story to think about how awkward this must have been, how crazy it must have seemed to these people who were watching this woman. But this woman, in the presence of Jesus, was undone. And she's undone because she, a woman of the city, comma, a sinner, knows that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only source, the only way, the only restitution and redemption that she can find. He is the only one. And at the feet of Jesus, she is undone. Now, I want to see what continues to happen as we read the story. It says in verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, all right, now I need to stop for a second. He said to himself, now who did he say this to? Himself. He said to himself. Now you're probably thinking, why in the world are you making such a big deal about this? Well, it's a really big deal, and that's why I'm making a big deal about it. He says this to himself. So the whole scene is unfolding. And Simon is probably back here in the cut, looking at what's going on, checking out the whole party. And all of a sudden, this woman is doing her thing, and he says to himself something that's very important for us to see. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is 
a sinner. Now, who did he say this to? Himself, right? So he's in the back. This whole exchange is going on between the woman and Jesus. Simon's kind of laying back. He's watching what's going on, and he says to himself, if Jesus was really the guy that everybody is saying, if he was really this prophet that everybody's bragging about, then he would not have been letting this dirty sinner woman touch his feet. He said this to himself. That's right. Now check this out. It's pretty cool. Verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, does that not freak anybody else out right there? (laughs) Because Simon said to himself these things, and it says in verse 40, and Jesus answering, he just read this dude's mind. (laughs) It's crazy. I don't know about y'all, but it's crazy to me. I don't know. (laughs) And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Of course he did, because he just read your mind. I don't know, it's tripping me out. I don't know about y'all. Verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So he's giving him this illustration, and he says, all right, Simon, I got something to say to you. Imagine that there was a dude who was owed some money, and these denarii right here are not really transferable in our culture right now, but denarii, uh, the 500 denarii is probably estimated to around 20 months of salary, and then the 50 would be like uh, two months, right? And so you got this a debtor who is owed by two people, and then he says to Simon, all right, one owes 500, one owes 50, he forgives both. Which one of those two people who were forgiven will be more excited? And the crowd all says, duh, right? This is a duh kind of moment, right? It's pretty obvious that the answer will be really easy for Simon to make. And let's see what Simon says. <laughs> Simon says... Caught that as I was saying it, didn't mean it, but there you go, we'll take it. (laughs) So Simon answers him in verse 43, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, duh, no, he didn't say that. (laughs) And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now there's some customary things that would have happened for someone who would be invited to a meal in this time. The first one is outlined by Jesus here where he says, this woman 
was kissing my feet. And he says to Simon, Simon, you did not even greet me with a kiss. Now, in this day, it would be a little bit different, but back then, when you would come up to a, a, a new house or you would be welcomed to a party, you would be greeted with a holy kiss. And that kiss would represent that you are welcome, but also that you are safe. This is a welcome place for you. You can be comfortable here. Mi casa, su casa, right? And so when he comes to the house, he says, Simon, you didn't even give me a kiss, but this woman not only greeted me with a kiss, but she kissed my dirty feet. And then he says, Simon, you didn't even offer to wash my feet. It would be customary for anyone who is reclining at the table to have their feet washed by a servant or be provided with the tools to be able to wash your feet. But he says to Simon, Simon, you didn't even offer to wash my feet, but this woman didn't even just wash my feet. She's washing my feet with her hair, and she's pouring expensive oil on my feet, and she's washing them with her tears. And then the last one is he says, you didn't anoint my head with ointment. Now, in this day in the Middle East, as you would imagine, just like it is today, it's very hot, and a traveler in the Middle East would have been very, very uncomfortable because their skin is being hit with this hot sun all day, so the ointment would be soothing. It'd be like a lotion, again, another welcoming balm. It also would represent a blessing, and it would represent a covering, and what he says is, Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman, not not only used oil to anoint me, but didn't even waste time on my head. She went right to my feet. And then he turns to the woman and he says, this woman whose sins are many. Remember, he just got done telling this story. In this story, he says, one owes 500, one owes 50. They're both forgiven. Simon, which one will be more excited? And Simon gives the answer for what's actually unfolding in real life before him. He turns to the woman and he says, this woman understands that she had a lot of sins. Remember, she's a woman of the city, comma, a known sinner. And I have forgiven her. She knows she's forgiven by me. And because she knows she's been forgiven much, her response is over the top joy. And this woman recognizes that she is free. Now we got the do-gooder Simon there watching the whole thing, seeing this unfold. He hears this speech, and let's just see how it finishes up. He says in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So that story by itself is a beautiful uh, opportunity for us to rejoice in who Jesus is. Every single person in this room can look at that story and say, man, if this is true, if Jesus is really like this, then that is amazing. That this sinner woman, this woman who was a woman of the city, who had a reputation, that she could find forgiveness at the feet of Jesus is so incredible, and it's good news to all of us. 
But one of the things that I was thinking about as I was praying about our time together and as I was studying for this uh, talk originally, one of the things that God kept showing me was it's easy for me to get behind the idea that that woman needed the gospel. She needed redemption from Jesus. She needed to be at the foot of the cross. She needed that forgiveness because, man, she's a woman of the city. She's a known sinner. And I love reading the story, hearing the happy ending that she's been forgiven. But what about Simon? It's really interesting because many of us who have varied experiences in the way of Jesus or pursuing faith may read this story through different lenses. And the thing that I think is really interesting and what we really need to examine is where do we really see this woman in the story? When I read this story for the first time, I have to tell you, I kind of placed her on the wrong side of the cross, right? If I were to look at this story, I would say this woman at the beginning, she was a woman of the city. She was on the wrong side of the cross, right? And now with this interaction with Jesus, she kind of went from the wrong side of the cross and then kind of went through the cross car wash, right? You know, then it came to the other side and she's got a long skirt on and a big old Bible, right? Like she's, now she's good, right? Like she was on the wrong side of the cross and now she's come over to the right side of the cross. But the only problem with that is that we have some other characters in the story, right? And we don't even need to go to the characters in the story. As a matter of fact, our own hearts are needing to be examined here because this is one of the things that I see. If this woman was on the wrong side of the cross, then what does it mean really to be on the right side of the cross? Because this is what I would Say, if this woman is on the wrong side of the cross, and we would say that she's far from Jesus, and she has been living a sinful life, and she has no hope, and she has no direction, and she's looking for substance, and she's searching for meaning, what would this woman need? All of us would say, man, well, she needs to meet Jesus. She needs to be at the foot of the cross. But what about the guy or the girl on this side of the cross, the right side of the cross, who's been coming to church for a long time, but every time they show up at church, they don't really feel anything, they don't really have any sense of connection to what's happening. They know they're supposed to be there, but really their hearts are actually somewhere else. What about the person who's on the right side of the cross, the Christian, but has a secret life of sin that they've been wrestling with and they don't know what to do with it and they feel ashamed and they feel like they can't fully be themselves and bring their full self to the table? What about the person who's on the right side of the cross who feels dry and tired and every time a worship song starts, they kind of cringe because they know they're supposed to raise their hands, but they're not feeling the engagement with this love and grace that Jesus provides. What about that person? If there's a wrong side of the cross and the remedy for the person on the wrong side of the cross is the foot of the cross, it's Jesus, what is the remedy for the person on the right side of the cross? Well, guess what? It's the exact same thing. Because at the foot of the cross, there is refreshment, there is redemption, there is wholeness, there is forgiveness, and that is true for the woman of the city and that is true for the righteous man who's in church. Both of us need to realize there's no right side or wrong side to the cross. We all meet at the foot of the cross. And every single day, the gospel never ceases to be true for any of us. It never ceases to be true. We never graduate past the gospel. The gospel is not 
Beginner Christianity 101. The gospel is both the entrance into the kingdom and the pathway by which we live. The gospel is not simply good news for those who are far from Jesus. The gospel reminds me that God, who I was far from in my sin, no longer sees me in my sin because of the finished work of Jesus. He sees Jesus. And that means for the Christian, I am refreshed, I am renewed, and I am restored. For the non-Christian, I have hope in a future because the very same gospel saves both of us. The gospel never ceases to be good news for everyone. The gospel is for everyone, friends. There is no time in our lives where the good news of the reality of the forgiveness that comes from Jesus ceases to be good. It's always good. The good news that when I look to the cross, I find forgiveness and redemption even as I wrestle with the tension of trying to navigate this life as a Christian because it says in Galatians chapter 5 that my flesh and my spirit are at war continually to keep each other from doing what they want to do. Paul was talking to Christian people right there. How many people in here still struggle with sin even though you're a Christian? Don't raise your hand because we're going to have a bunch of liars if you don't raise your hand. You know what I mean? The gospel is for everyone. The beauty of what Kairos brings us is this opportunity in the midst of fellow human beings who are wrestling with the tensions of what it means to be alive on earth, to look to the hope, as it says in Hebrews 12, of Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so all of us together are looking to the cross, whether you are sinner or saint, whether you are male or female, whether you are far from God or you've been running with Jesus for a long time, whether you're old or young, when we both fix our eyes on Jesus, all of the horizontal ceases to be the thing that determines our righteousness or our worth or our value. The only place that we find our value, our worth, our identity is in Jesus. And that is true for both the Christian and the non-Christian. If you're far from Jesus tonight, I want to tell you that there is hope in the finished work of Christ. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, when he defeated sin and death, we now have access back to the God that we are separated from because of sin. And for the Christian that feels dry and tired and you're not really sure because you're disillusioned with what's going on in the church in America and the world and all this, let me tell you, there is hope in the redemption of the finished work of Jesus because of the death, burial, and resurrection and the defeat of sin and death. Us Christians can find refreshment and forgiveness in the same gospel. There is no right side or wrong side to the cross. We all meet at the foot of the cross.